The end of the 2022 Winter Olympic Games is fast approaching. Already, athletes are making plans for participation, redemption, or defense of their exploits at the 2026 Games in Milan Cortina. While every Olympic certainly feels unique, the fireworks of the closing ceremony can feel like the quadrennial ticking of a larger winter sports clock. For some veterans, the Games serve as a reunion of peers. And just like the high school kind, reunions can highlight the passage of time in not-so-flattering ways. Did you guys see? You remember him top 10 finish. It was, it was quite something. Their curling program got so good. Yeah, I heard is it, it just me, or is Anders really losing his hair? No, yeah, he's, yeah, Poor he guy. <laughs> just like you may have noticed your chemistry class crush is now quite bald and didn't make it to the majors despite his senior year pitching record, Olympians are bearing witness to alarming changes in the environment. Yeah, the glacier in Sass Bay is like almost gone. But T-Bar doesn't even go up. We used to train there. Today on the podium, winter athletes report from their front row seats to the most troubling spectacles, climate change. From NBC Sports, this is The Podium, a podcast about the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympic Games. I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi, coming to you every day from the ground with a unique angle on the performances that are carving what's possible on ice and snow. A scene in the Swiss Alps crystallizes our episode theme today. It is, very literally, a cliffhanger. We were in Sauce in early September, and we saw massive pieces of ice and snow just falling off the top of a peak, and it's just, like, so rattling and shocking, and it's the best visual of global warming at its finest. Paula Molson of the United States of America... His best finish in Giant Slalom was a 10th place finish in Solden. My name is Paul Moulton. I'm on Team USA and I'm an alpine skier. Paula, thank you so much for joining me today. We, we wanted to talk to you because as a skier, the surface you need to compete on is dependent on temperature and on precipitation, two things that I assume make you a bit more in tune with the environment than most. Have you seen any changes over your career? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Skiers are privy to this information because we all we do is we want snow, right? We don't love to ski on man-made snow all the time. We want to see it snow from the sky and it's becoming less and less common. The winter's getting warmer and warmer and you're like, when is it going to snow? And it's, it's sad because I have skied World Cup on and off for I think like seven years now. And I go to, I have been to Sauce Switzerland a, a lot. Um, sauce phase in Switzerland, and it is a glacier that holds snow almost all year round. So we, it's a great training option when it's early season and there's no snow, well, natural snow anywhere. Um, you have to take two gondolas and a train to get to it because it's literally on the top of a mountain. And depending when you hit it, if it's snowed or not, you can kind of just see that the glacier is a little bit sad. <laughs> it can be very brown. I have seen it 
And I've heard from my coaches about the change that's been happening there. Uh, You said changes. I mean, these glaciers have been frozen there for thousands of years. Any examples? Some of my favorite stories from my coaches are when we're riding up a first or second gondola is when they point out like going up the second gondola, they're like, oh yeah, the training, like we used to have training down here, like whatever it was like 25 years ago. And you're like, like, I don't believe you. There's absolutely no way there was training down here 25 years ago. But then it's like, if you go and like Google photos of it, you're like, whoa, it actually was happening. And so it's a little scary to think about like where we're training now, how long is it going to last? Wait, what's there now? What what are they pointing at? Uh, a lot of gravel that is from a receding glacier. So, you know, underneath the glacier sits tons of like, like just massive stones, basically. And it's just like covered. And I think a really good one is like another early season glacier place is um, a lot of people head to Hintertux, which is in um, just it's like an hour and a half ish from Innsbruck. And same thing. You're going up the first or second gondola and your coach is like, I also skied down here. You're like, that's not even a training lane. They no longer do people train there like whatsoever. And when he was explaining that there used to be like a super steep training lane here. And I was like, I, I just straight up don't believe you because you look over there and there's like a crevasse and you're like, well, where did the snow go? <laughs> um, also early season sold in when we, we talk about it constantly. We go back to sold in every year for our world cup opener and every coach is like the hill's getting less steep the hill's getting less steep because the glacier's receding and so it's starting to flatten out more when it is it's still a massive pitch but it's they're saying it's not as hard as it used to be <laughs> wow it's changing rapidly what is the ideal condition of snow for alpine racing it's different than what a sunday skier at a resort is looking for yes yeah i think skiers ideal conditions depend on where you grew up or how you what type of snow you like to ski on but on the world cup a pretty um basically imagine like an ice rink or a hockey rink turned vertical is like kind of the best case scenario because that provides a lot of consistency in our sport which we don't have so the harder the snow the less breakdown there is between skier to skier and so maybe you have bib 25 instead of bib one um, with that really hard snow service, you have an equal opportunity to um, perform as well as Bib 1. So many things alter the dynamic, right? What have the conditions in Beijing been like? They've actually been unbelievable. I was shocked. I think everyone was really nervous coming into this. You're like, what are we getting ourselves into? Like, none of us, I've never skied in China, and plenty of other World Cup skiers have never skied in China. And so um, they did an incredible job. I think they had like hundreds of snow guns and they made it an awesome service. It's all man-made, which makes it someone call it like more aggressive. So it's less icy and more, I don't know. It feels like kind of feels funny underfoot, but they've done an incredible job preparing the slopes with what they've, I don't even know. <laughs> like It's just as good. It's really impressive. Now, the texture of the snow, the big talk coming into Beijing is the man-made snow. man-made snow here at the Ginting area. This elevation at the base is just under 6,000 feet. Extremely cold. That snow is firm. 100% man-made. And the fact that it's incredibly dry, high winds, it draws out all the moisture. This whole course is made of man-made snow. It really cold temperatures in the lead-up into this. uh, So in the lead-up to these Winter Olympics, I spoke to a variety of different athletes, and every single snow sport athlete that I spoke to, I asked them 
what has your experience with climate change been like? And every single one of them had a story that was both illuminating and terrifying at the same time. Uh, my name is Alex Azzi, and I am the editor of On Her Turf. Alex, welcome to the podium. It sounds like winter athletes are some of the most affected by climate change. Has that been your experience? Um, I think that for those of us that live in the city or even rural areas, if we're not necessarily in places that are already feeling the most severe impacts of climate change, um, it's pretty easy to believe that it's not here yet. It doesn't exist. Um, you know, maybe we see stories in the news about, you know, irregular uh, weather events, fires, things like that. Um, and yet for these athletes, I think the difference is that it's not like a once in a, you know, 10 year period that they're experiencing it. Like they are experiencing it day in and day out year after year, um, everywhere that they go. Any examples you can think of that stand out? Yeah, so I spoke to Jamie Anderson, a snowboarder who competed at her third Olympics here in Beijing. And Jamie, when she was growing up, went to a camp uh, off of uh, Whistler in Canada. It was on a glacier and it was called Camp of Champs. And actually, I think it was at the 2014 uh, Sochi Games that like, some crazy number, like 80% of the medalists in the free skiing and snowboarding events had gone to Camp of Champs. Like it was just the place to go when you're, you know, uh, looking for a place to snowboard or ski in the month of August because there was a glacier. And uh, in 2017, though, the camp had to shut down. Um, I spoke to the owner of it and he told me that Global warming cost him his job. Uh, it was that, you know, they couldn't get the T-bar where it needed to be. The glacier had just dropped so much during the last few years that it just wasn't sustainable to still be able to have a camp there. Um, and so Jamie actually started going to Sasface, Switzerland. Um, and so she's also seen some of the same impacts that Paula has seen in terms of the, the glacier uh, melting there. But this trend of winter Olympic venues that aren't that wintry, it's not new, is it? So I think one of the misconceptions maybe for people that are just tuning in during the Olympics is that winter athletes compete at the Olympics and that's it. Uh, that's not actually the case at all. Most of them compete on very robust World Cup circuits where they are traveling from September until March, uh, going to the same places. And, you know, I actually looked at Jesse Diggins' cross-country skiing schedule, for example, and she went to Davos, Switzerland in mid-December every year for 10 years in a row. And so when you have that type of uh, repetitive cycle where you're going to the same place at the same time every year, you notice changes over time. And so I think that they have an, an experience where they can say, oh, like, this is weather, it's different than, you know, it was yesterday. Uh, but they also have an experience in terms of climate, in terms of saying, oh, I was here 10 years ago and, you know, there was way more snowpack or the glacier was way bigger. Like, they see those changes year after year. They're observing climate change in real time. How have you seen these athletes respond to it? So I think I would divide up the reaction maybe into three buckets, right? There's the personal reaction of what am I myself going to do about this? There is the maybe sport by sport reaction, as I would call it, of what is my sport, which depends on snow and depends on having a reliable climate going to do about this. And then the much more existential question of what are we as humanity going, 
the much more existential question of what are we as humans going to do about this? Um, and so in terms of the personal decision, you know, something that I heard from a couple of different athletes, Jamie Anderson told me that she really struggles with the fact that she is traveling to Sasfe, Switzerland in August and September to ride off season because she knows that that is, is at odds with her beliefs about climate change and that we all need to be more responsible for that our own actions and the impact that we're having. Um, Michaela Schifrin actually said something similar. She said that she has contemplated as she thinks about retirement, just whether or not she would make that choice based on the climate. She really struggles with the fact that in order to pursue her sport, she has to travel so much. Um, so then switching kind of to the next bucket, the sport by sport reaction, um, you know, I think some of these winter sports, just because they are so sprawling, they go from one country to another to another. I think some of them, but not all of them, have started to look at, okay, how can we minimize travel? How can we make sure that we're not going way far out of our way, only to come back to this corner of the globe again two weeks from now? You know, can we combine places so that we're able to stay in one spot for longer? And can we maximize the amount of time that we stay on natural snow, maybe by changing up where we go at certain points of the year? But certain sports have also had to change just the venues that they compete at, because the venues that they used to compete at don't get the same type of consistent, reliable snowfall anymore. Wow, I never took that into account. It's going to be interesting to see how the sports landscape shifts as the actual landscape shifts as well. You know, I think something that has really interested me in terms of speaking to these athletes about this topic is that I call it like the snow snowball effect. You know, it is it all impacts Everything impacts everything, basically, right? So the choices that Jamie Anderson makes about whether or not she's snowboarding impacts whether or not she's able to snowboard. Um, granted, you know, that's pretty much on a microscopic level. The, the personal footprint that she's having on the climate is not, you know, making a huge difference in the grand scheme of things. But I think that that's kind of the approach that everyone needs to take as we're looking at this crisis that we're all facing is what, it, what am I doing and what do I need to change? Um, granted, you know, it's certainly also a question that corporations and countries and everyone really needs to take on together. But um, it's been interesting to talk to these athletes because it's they fell in love with the winter. They fell in love with being able to be outside and ski and snowboard. And now they are seeing that that passion is at risk. But they also know that they're not going to be able to. Um, they also know that that passion gives them a platform with which they can speak on it too. Um, Jesse Diggins, after she won gold in 2018, she had a chance to go to Congress and talk to representatives about the impacts of climate change. And I know that that was a meaningful experience to her because it allowed her to take her gold medal and uh, really amplify, amplify a cause that she cares so much about. The snow snowball effect, such a good analogy, one that may just may just help this Olympic moment be one where we see the climate like our favorite skiers do. It's changing. Uh, I'm not going to talk any longer. I think you want to hear from Jessie Diggins. And so at this time, I'd like to introduce her. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I'm here to celebrate this. It's really and important because currently we have snow, but as we all know, this is sort of an abnormal winter that we actually have winter um, uh, lately. So I think it's very cool that there's efforts to get our kids more and more chances to race because for me, that was crucial, getting the chance to be on Every four years, the world's greatest athletes compete for gold. That time is now. The Winter Olympics on NBC and Peacock. 
17 days of action, excitement, glory, and history in the making. Don't miss a single epic moment. The Winter Olympics continue tonight on NBC and Peacock. Follow the podium now on Spotify to get automatic downloads. And tune into the networks of NBC to watch every moment of the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympic Games.